right. Congrats, grads. We're so proud of you. That's pretty awesome. Thankful to be here with you this morning. Uh, just a quick shout out. I want to say before we turn our, all of our attention to the grads, we had our marriage reconnect weekend this past weekend. And it was pretty awesome. And I just want to recognize a few people. Allison and Warren did a great job. They did a fantastic job putting that together. And um, we were a part of it. And I also want to give a quick shout out to Jill. She's probably not in here because she's probably doing something else. Yeah, she's doing something else because she's everywhere at all times. But she did an awesome job, and Brad did an awesome job yesterday cleaning up and getting everything set up, and, and Benita did a great job setting up and stuff. So we have a good, good people working here to serve our church, and I'm thankful to start moving towards a direction where it's like we're doing more stuff like that. And as you see, we got tables set out today to do more and more stuff like that. So I'm excited. I'm thankful to be here with you this morning. So enough talking about married people. Okay, let's talk about our graduates. And so today... My sermon's called Transitions, and for obvious reasons, because we have people transitioning. Uh, but as we kind of, you know, think about this word transition, I want you to think about the transitions you've had in your life. Whatever they might be, small or big, whatever transitions, I want you to kind of take a quick catalog of the things that you've transitioned through in your life. You know, for me, I think about, obviously, school is a big transition, even going from elementary to middle from middle to high school, right? I remember my mom was actually a teacher at the elementary school I went to, and I was very thankful to get away from that school, to be fair, because my mom was there all the time. If I ever got in trouble, my mom would know before I was done with school, and that was never a good situation to be in. So I was thankful to go into this different school, transitioning to this new place, but I was, again, going to be that small fish in a big pond, right? In the middle school situation, that is a... You talk about people who are... Uh, anarchists, man, middle schoolers, have no regard for anybody, okay? Not our middle schoolers. Our middle schoolers are awesome at our, at our, at our church. Um, but middle school was terrifying because I didn't know anybody. So I saw, I saw a kid wearing a Miami Dolphins shirt, and I was like, oh, cool. I'm a Jaguars fan, but we both like football. And then I said, hey, do you like football? He's like, yeah. Can we be friends? Yeah. I just needed somebody to latch on to. You know the transition that I'm talking about. It's so awkward. You feel so small. And if I thought that was awkward, the transition to high school was even more awkward, right? Because at least in school, everybody's awkward. In high school, you got these senior girls, senior guys who are, you know, looking like adults compared to your scrawny ninth grade self, right? The transition is not fun. Uh, but again, you know, I made friends and I made the best of it. That small fish in a big pond. And so I think about the transition also between high school to college, and we're not talking about a pond anymore. It's like we're going from a pond to like the Atlantic Ocean. Nobody cares about you, right? <laughs> That's how I felt at UCF. I was one of 60,000 under, uh, undergrads, yeah, in a class of 500 students. I did not matter, okay? But I had good roommates. I had good people I could lean on. I had a good college ministry that I just happened to find and go very, very connected to. To this day, I say I... I and thankful that my life, I am where I am today because of that campus ministry that I found at UCF. So the school transition is, a, is what a lot of us have gone through. But even bigger than that, I remember this, the transition from being a single guy to being a family guy, right? Going from living on my own, living with friends, living with other guys, to living with a woman. It's a very different experience. The smells are very... Very much better when you transition, okay? 
I, I didn't know it until I left my dorm just how bad it smelled, right? But it's a big transition, especially having children, where it's like, okay, selfishness is not an option anymore. It's a big transition. And I think about the, the transition from college to work, right? Where you have a schedule, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm here from 8 to noon. On Tuesday, thir- you know, you have this schedule and you go from that to work where it's like, okay, no one's going to spoon feed me anymore. In all these transitions, you go from being the small fish in a small pond to being the small fish in this big pond or this big ocean, wherever you, however you want to think about it. And the crazy thing about it is every single time you make a transition, you think you're never going to be able to do it. Or at least that's how I felt. Every single time I felt underprepared. I remember my school teachers especially, going from middle school to high school, they're, gonna, they're saying, you're never going to be able to cut it unless you do this, this, and this. And high school is going to be so much more difficult. I would get to high school and it wasn't that much more difficult. Right? And it was the same thing with college. And it was the same thing with parents. Like all these different things, I would make these monsters, these mountains that are the things that are going to come. But I always felt so underprepared I was, as I was making that transition. Maybe you're with me, maybe you're not. Am I alone here? I don't think so. Because every time I would make this transition, whether it be small, like school to school, or big, like being single to being in a family, I felt underprepared and I felt like a fraud. Is anybody with me in that area, maybe? Feeling a little bit like a fraud? You don't have to raise your hands. It's okay. Where you look around and you say, they know that I don't belong here. I remember when I was getting to my upper levels in college especially, I had some friends that were serious academics. And they were writing these 20-page, we had to write these 20-page papers in, my, in one of my last senior classes. We had to write two. And I would read over theirs and I'd be like, man, I don't belong here. But the problem is, is that I came to find out later, they would read my papers and be thinking the same thing. And isn't it funny how every single person at some point in their life has felt like a fraud? Even if the top athletes, the top musicians, whatever, they'll look around at their colleagues and say, I don't belong here. And you're looking at them and saying, how could you even say that? You were excelling in your field. But that's the thing is that we all feel like frauds and this is nothing new. And I'm speaking to my graduates here, but I'm also speaking to everybody else. A lot of times when I walk up here on Sunday mornings, I feel like a fraud. It's nothing new. Everyone experiences this. And as I was thinking of this kind of fraud mentality, I do not belong here, I couldn't help but think of our guy Joshua. You know, he had a very tough act to follow. If you have your Bibles open, if you're in Joshua chapter 1, you can just look, mine's on the other page, at Deuteronomy 34, this is the act that Joshua is following here with these Israelites. Because if we're, if we're familiar with the story, we know that Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. Along the way, Moses made some mistakes and God said, hey, Moses, you're not going to lead the Israelites. Somebody else is going to lead them into this promised land. But this is the act that Joshua has to follow here. Look in Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 and following. Since then, no prophet uh, risen in Excuse me, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. And now Joshua has to follow in those footsteps. Does that sound 
Easy or difficult? Sounds difficult to me. Maybe it sounds easy to you. If anyone has ever had the right to kind of feel like a fraud, it would be Joshua. Because not only it's not like Joshua came out of nowhere here. We've heard about Joshua before, right, in this Exodus story where he, he and um, Caleb were sent to be spies. And they had this faith in God, faith that God's going to deliver them. It seems that Joshua has been Moses' right-hand man through his entire life. If anybody has a right to feel like a fraud, it's Joshua because he's looking up to Moses this entire time, right? You follow me here. He has this mentor who has performed these awesome deeds that no one has ever done before for Israel. But as much as he might have the right to feel like a fraud, it doesn't seem like he does. My question is why? Is is Joshua some awesome communicator? Is, Is he just the best at leading people out of captivity into promised lands? Maybe. He'd probably make my top five of people who have done that, right? Um, Is he just ultra qualified? Maybe. But I think there's something more to this. Really, I think he understands two things, and I think this is something that we can all relate to here. Joshua understands two things that allow him to not feel like such a fraud. The first thing he realizes is that God is with me. Say it with me. God is with me. Joshua understands this. And I bet you if I took a poll in the church today and said, do you believe that God is with you? I'd probably have at least 99%, you know, in the affirmative. Yes, I believe God is with me. But it seems that it's much, much different for Joshua. Because sometimes we forget that, that this is a real person who experienced real things, right? He experienced this wilderness experience with Moses. He experienced captivity under the Egyptians. He's experienced all these good things God has done for them. And he knows without a shadow of a doubt that God is with him. It's harder for us sometimes to recognize that. It's harder for us to recognize what's happened in our lives and see all the failings that we've experienced and still recognize that God is with us. It's hard to look around and see that everything is falling apart, my relationships, my job, my career, whatever it might be, everything's falling apart. Is God really there? I know up here, but do I know down here that God is with me? It seems that the the base level of what allowed Joshua to do what he eventually did is that he recognized and held this close to his chest. It would not be swayed from the reality that God is with him. Look at what it says here in Joshua 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because you're an awesome guy, Joshua. That's not what the Bible says, okay? It says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. He recognizes that God's going to do what he says he's going to do, and he saw him do it time and time again. But if I'm Joshua here, this is a hard thing for me to remember in the heat of this moment where I'm taking over for Moses. But that is where kind of, you know, the proverbial rubber meets the road. It's recognizing what's taken place and recognizing what God is going to continue doing for you because he's done it already. God is with me. Look in verse, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 9. He says this again. This is God speaking to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And Joshua knows this to be truth. God is with me. That's the first thing. 
He understands that he is not a fraud. He understands this because God is with him and he recognizes that to be truth. The second thing that Joshua realizes is that his people are with him. His people have his back. His people are in his corner. Let's look in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. This is after Joshua and God have this kind of back and forth. Joshua relays the message to his people, and this is what his people say back to him. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have, command, excuse me, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we faithfully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is the definition of people being in your camp. And what I, what I kind of want to symbolize here with these, these tables and our graduates being up here at the front is that when they stand up here, they're going to be able to see the people who are going to be in their, excuse me, in their camp. Right? They're going to have your back. They're going to be with you whatever takes place. Nothing is going to take you too far away from your church home and the people that love you that you can't come back. Is that truth? Amen? I hope it's true because that's what the church was for me. When I turned my back and I was far, far away, I thought that the churches are full of a bunch of hypocrites and liars and cheats and da-da-da, whatever superlative you want to give the church, I thought it. Bad superlative. And then I was proven way wrong. And I hope that our graduates don't come to that, that realization the way that I had to. But the truth remains is that your people have your back. I will have your back forever, okay? You can always count on me. And I know, and this is, it's really hard because I feel like, especially with this group, last year kind of got disjointed. Some of you I got to actually, you know, know through COVID a little bit more, but I still think it was a little disjointed because we didn't get to have the normal experiences. But the truth remains is that this ministry and this church will have your back no matter what. And I want you to realize that and take that with you, that your people have your back. And this is how our grads should transition as well. Just as Joshua takes this, you know, mantle from Moses, as this transition for him, I want our grads to have these two things in mind. God is with you, and your people are with you as well. Not just your family, not just your youth minister, although your youth minister will always be your cheerleader, okay? But this church will always be. My prayer is that our grads know that there are things that can help them. And their past experiences shape who they are, but do not define who they are. And we will continue to journey with you as long as you'll have us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I just thank you for our three graduates. I thank you for Ezekiel, I thank you for Manny, and I thank you for Heather, and I thank you for the lives that they've led and the lives they're going to continue to lead I pray that you make them a light to the world. I pray that you give them confidence to be strong and courageous and to recognize that you are with them and that their church has their back. Help us to let that be true in every way that we possibly can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing here in a minute, and the, the invitation still stands. If you have any needs at all, I, 
We want to help address them. So will you please come while we stand and as we sing?